Yeah, you're right, though, with that puzzle box, because it's you, you can't um, with it. You, you can solve a Rubik's Cube because it has colors that correspond to each other and you line up the colors and you've solved it. Right. But first of all, the puzzle, the the, the uh, what do they call that? Oh, God, I even forgot the name of the damn. I, I, I forget, it. too. Yeah. It doesn't even give you a chance to solve it. It starts solving itself and moving around. It's like, wait a second. I was like, I was onto something, goddammit. Yeah. It's like and it then, has one of those giant staples easy buttons on the side of it. You just hit it and right. it moves around and there well, here you go. Pleasure demons. Enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl takes after her. Don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre with TNA. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I, we're going to dive headlong into the horror genre and talk about a different film from your well-known classics down to that rare masked gem at the back (laughs) of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I are going to talk about the only anthology in this series, Halloween 3 from 1982. (laughs) Tim... I just got to ask you, I know you love it, but what do you love most about the Halloween holiday? Not the franchise, the holiday itself. Ah, okay. Um, I know you're a Halloween guy. I know you love Halloween. It's the the one core thing that draws you to it. It's the excitement in the air, which sounds like kind of like an, 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 an intangible concept, but there is um, from from the moment that you're a kid and you're going out and you're you're doing your trick or treating with your parents or with your with your friends. It's the anticipation that builds up, starting with you know you've got the costume that you wanted. Hopefully, you know you're putting it on. It's getting dark outside, especially since this holiday starts. You know you start interacting in this holiday at at a really young age you know when you when you start interacting in christmas you're also very young but what do you do you just you sit there and you, and you open presents yeah you know you're not doing just, anything exactly but with halloween you're you're picking a costume you're putting it on you're it's getting dark outside you're staying up late you're you're walking around you're you're seeing what the inside of your weird neighbor's house looks like and like oh that's 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 what my neighbor's house smells like like i never i never knew that before um you know so there's there's a there's a newness there's a mystery there's an excitement and and if you're lucky there's a couple people on your block that really do it up. Like I remember there used to be this guy when I was a kid and um, he would tie a rope around his neck and then have about like maybe six or eight feet and tie the rest to a tree. And he would just bury himself under like a pile of leaves. And then he'd just like leap out at kids and like, like he was a wild animal and like, he was just like tied to this tree and he was clawing at you and stuff. And you were fucking terrified and it was great. (laughs) Um, and it's just, uh, or, and then, uh, as I got a little bit older, but still a young kid, um, the town that we grew up in of all families in the city, it's of course the family that owns one of the funeral parlors in town <laughs> actually has the creepiest looking house in town. Oh, wait, is would that actually, one of the funeral house homes? The Bartholomew's. Oh, right. Yes. The Bartholomews. Dude, I of, never put those two names together. Yeah, the family that owned the funeral parlor actually would let you come into their home, and they had like somebody on a microphone, like that you couldn't see. That was, you know, yeah. all kinds of creepy talking. And they had like a little mini haunted house in their house. You know, they were already these creepy funeral people. And then they're you're now like stepping foot into their house, and they even had that like that black uh, wrought iron gate out in yeah. front of their house. There, this is they, the house, right, with like the like the castle kind of turret like turret? looking. Yeah, yeah. yes, okay. 
Yeah, and it was and scary. That, and I feel like they, because yes, I remember that when we were kids. And now, like that whole street, it's the rich people downtown street, and mm-hmm. it's so it's all these huge houses. And now a lot of them go all out. Like there was a era. I feel like it's wavered a little now, but. There was a good chunk early 2000s, late 90s, where it seemed every house on that street was trying to outcompete for the right. most like outlandish <laughs> house to trick or treat at. But the, what it, what's such a shame though is that the the funeral parlor family moved out of that house they sold it and when they were in there it was like painted this really dark gray which was not at all popular at the time but it was this dark gray and and it was it didn't look the house didn't look dingy but steely steely blue gray kind of color right and then the people bought it and they painted it like a light beige and i wanted to walk up to their fucking porch and be like what the fuck are you doing like this, would you, I mean, this is the scariest thing that's ever happened at this house. This is, you're like killing my childhood here, you motherfuckers. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the thing is, I mean, truthfully, it is, it's a very adorable house with this light beige color that they slapped right. on it, but it's, it's not fucking nice haunted, not haunted anymore. Oh, Apparently well. that's all, you, that's all you have to do to get rid of a haunted house. Just paint it beige. It's fine. <laughs> right. Everything's cleansed by beige. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good answer, Tim. Well, I'm glad because my other question was, uh, how many days until Halloween? Uh, <laughs> well, if you didn't know, this movie sets out to tell you and remind you over and, and over, over and over. Yes. So this is uh, Halloween 3 uh, from 1982. It was written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, and it stars Tom Atkins. Stacy Nelkin and Dan O'Herlihy they had a budget of about two and a half million pulled in 14, even though people say this is a bomb, it still made five times its budget. So that's not, yeah, that's I'll take it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's the, it's the first and only in the Halloween, uh, uh franchise that is not Michael Myers. And and here's here's something I I'm confused about because I always thought Halloween was always meant to be an anthology where it was different every year and just the second time they were like well Michael Myers was very popular let's just do that again and then went to the anthology but everything I looked up when looking up this film seemed like it was after two they were like well let's just start doing an anthology right it's i'm I'm confused on when the anthology was thought of it's a tough question because there i think that there is some conflicting information out there and some of that conflicting information might even be coming from the same sources exactly um because you know it's john carpenter and deborah hill might might change their their mind on when they decided certain things at, at certain times but i'm given to understand I do not believe that when Halloween was first put together, that it was meant to be an anthology. What it was meant to be was, was a very, it was honoring a very simple request, which was, we want a horror movie about a babysitter. That was the origin of, of Halloween. We want a horror movie about a babysitter. And then um, the idea of Halloween and, 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 filming it on or setting it on Halloween just kind of rolled into that. So there was, there was no way that they started out from the very get go with an anthology. I think what happened was, is that the movie became a hit and that some, and that there was some discussion of, Hey, what if we told a different story every time we, we went along just centered around Halloween. Right. Exactly. And then, but it, it was the, you know, like is often the case, the folks with the money that stepped in and said, no, you guys made what will at that time the most successful um, because it is considered to be an independent film, even though, I mean, it was distributed by actual production houses. I do believe that Hall- wasn't Halloween considered an independent film. I believe it was probably. Yeah, because it was. I... I think for the longest time, it was considered the most successful independent film of, of all time monetarily. So when you've got that and then you've got people that are, are kind of 
their money is writing on the sequel, they're going to say, no, 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 no. Give us more of the same. We, we want the second one to be exactly like the first one. And they pushed Mike Myers. Now, this is where I think, um, I think the anthology thing starts to creep in because John Carpenter himself has admitted that when he sat down to write part two, that he literally had no idea what to do. Like right. he, he felt like that story was just done. And that's when he started throwing in shit like Michael Myers being related to Lori Strode and, and them being brother and sister and all that stuff. Cause he was just trying to add another dimension to a story that he felt was finished. Right. So I, I think that if I had to guess, I think that the anthology idea was coming along after uh, preparations had already been made for the second film, but but the train had already left the station. So it begs the question, is it ever too late to start a good idea? <laughs> and the answer to that apparently is yes. <laughs> like, like I, I'd love to say that that you could crank out two movies. Maybe the second one is done too quickly and without an, without uh, enough thought. But I just don't think without without something like the Internet, like if you still had if you had the Internet back then, maybe you could come out with some sort of announcement that like, you know, if you enjoyed the first two installments of this, you're going to love, you know, as we take the story in a new direction in a new town. But you can't really hit the public with that much. Publicity. No. Oh, yeah. Our advancements in uh, focused advertising has right. <laughs> probably the greatest advancement man has made is focused advertising <laughs> over the last two decades. Right. But yeah, because, yeah, they they tried to make it clear Michael Myers was not in this movie. And of, of course, everyone showed up and was like, where the fuck is Michael Myers? Right. Right. And and that's when I I was excited that we were going to cover this movie because shockingly I had never seen this and, but I shouldn't say shockingly. It's no wonder that I had never sat down to watch Halloween three because I had heard so much negativity about it that I just thought, Oh yeah, that's just that crappy one that uh, doesn't have Michael Myers. So I'm not going to watch that because I hear that it sucks. So I didn't, I didn't even, you know, trust the movie enough to sit down and, and pass my own judgment. So I was really excited to sit down watch this movie and, and uh, realize that the only reason why this movie is not liked is because it doesn't have Michael Myers, but hidden behind that is some little gem of a horror movie. Unfortunately <laughs> for everyone, uh, this movie also has some serious flaws that go way beyond not having Michael Myers in it, which yeah. I don't think is a flaw in and of itself, but there are some real flaws in this movie and they're, they're kind of all over the map. Yeah. To tell you the well, let's, uh, before we, uh, get to the map, let's, let's do Nan some real quick. Cause we've been talking about Michael Myers isn't in this, but what is this? Well, <laughs> Here's, here, here's Nansum. I put no effort into this. After treating a dying man clutching a Halloween mask who ushers a dire warning, Dr. Dan Chalice teams up with the daughter of the dead man to investigate his mysterious death. In doing so, they uncover a plot by an evil company to usher in a new era of witchcraft using a combination of novelty masks and the power of Stonehenge. <laughs> That's Halloween 3 for you right there. Anytime you don't put any thought into something and yet still use the word clutching, like I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And I think uh, I did this movie right by uh, just dismissing the female character and not even saying her name. <laughs> she's the daughter. Like, oh man, there's movie. A treats treats the lead lady so poorly. We will get to that, I'm sure. Yes, we will. Um, and, and and not that she does a whole lot to help it either, but uh, she's okay. I did, she, I, yeah, I liked her. I liked cute. the performances in this movie. I am going to say that because I'm with you. I, I had seen this before, and I did enjoy it. Like, I remember liking this movie a lot, and I do think it was – it's part of that. I think there is a, a – you know, not to call people out, but I do think there is a tendency to – like this movie because it's so different from the Halloweens and because it is a Halloween. But if you took this, if you took the Halloween title off of this movie, this movie is the stuff. 
Like it's that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like if, like if you, if Halloween, the first Halloween is a great and revered classic horror film, this is at best an average tales from the dark side episode. Like that's, that's the level of quality that, which isn't to say that it's terrible, but it's, but it's just that. And so when you, when you hold it up and when you compare it to its, you know, older brother, uh, the first film or older brother or sister, it, it just, God, it just pales. It pales yeah. in comparison. I was, to I was really ready to have fun and enjoy this again. And just kind of halfway through, I was like, oh, shit, I'm kind of bored. Well, like knowing everything already takes a lot of that fun away, <laughs> you know, so just I don't know. And it's like you remember these beats because there are great. There are some cool scenes and great beats, uh, but that's lost in a second viewing when you recognize how much just like padding and filler and nothingness is going on. A yeah. Lot of- and and you know the, the but like you said the performances the cast i mean our of course we have to just start out with saying our boy tom atkins yeah. who we love just to show you the power of how awesome this guy is even though his you know first scene or within his first couple of scenes he's wearing a doctor's jacket in a hospital my brain did not comprehend that he was not a cop until halfway through this movie <laughs> Like I just because well, he acts like a cop too. He does. I can't, there's no way this guy acts like a doctor in any way. No, let Nothing alone outside of the hospital ever. Being a doctor never benefits him ever. He's solving right. a mystery. He's literally doing detective work. You're right. Right. He's he loves nothing more than solving mysteries and abandoning his children in order to do so. I yeah. mean, it's and having but, a drink. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a drunk doctor. That's always what you want. <laughs> right. And, drunk uh, I can handle. Drunk doctors? No. Yeah, because there's like scenes where he's like just coming back from the liquor store and it's like 1030 in the morning. It's yeah. like, didn't you just get some booze last night? Like, what's what's going on here? And his ex-wife, in the beginning, we see his ex-wife and she even is like, mm, drinking and a doctor. That's a good combo. I'm like, I see why you guys divorced. <laughs> As dour as this lady looks, she puts up with no bullshit. And you know what? They picked the quintessential. And I don't I don't mean like any disrespect by saying this, but if you're trying to cast a quote unquote bitchy ex-wife, there's nobody better than Annie from the original Halloween. Yep. And uh, because she's that actress, uh, Nancy Keys is I'm not saying she's a terrible actress, but she's really good at being just naturally annoying as a human being. And uh, and she makes good on that here. Wasn't she Nancy Wallace then? Was she married to the director? Well, she actually her I thought she was married to the director. She but to Tommy? Yeah. Well, no, her 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 married or her stage name sometimes she goes by Nancy Loomis, actually, oh. which is even which is even more confusing. It's even more confusing. Did she um, have that name before Halloween? I don't think so. Really I think it's good. just a nice little yeah, it's kind of kind of desperate, isn't it? But, um but but here's a problem though. Okay, so Tom Atkins, and, and you and I have expressed our love for this guy before. Um I, I'm watching this movie and all I want is for this character to be you can make him whoever you want him to be or put him in whatever set of circumstances but i want him to be the same guy from night of the creeps like right. just just give me that guy in everything tom atkins does because he's so good at it but the thing is i don't want to say that he's just a one note like he genuinely is a great actor like i agree even- with the smallest things, like if you just need a guy who's got kind of like a, a rough, tough exterior and you just need a faraway glance while he's like preoccupied with his thoughts, like yeah. it doesn't get any better than Tom Atkins. Like the guy's yeah, you great. You can tell he's definitely committing to this. And a lot of yeah. the work I know him from is schlocky. Gar- I mean, creep show, Night of the Creeps, Halloween right. 3. Um but he fucking sells it every time. There's nothing wrong with giving a great performance in a not so great, you know, a uh, piece of, of work. 
Right. But the, the problem is with with this God, like they didn't do him any favors in the script. Like why in the world? Like, OK, that's fine if you want to make him divorced and it's fine if you want to make his character have children. So it gives him some vested interest, some personal interest in trying to solve this mystery because he knows that his kids own these, you know, ultimately doomed Halloween masks. Yeah. OK. So that's fine. But why in the world does that mean that you have to make him like so absentee as a father? Like you, you, they're trying their damnedest to make this guy unlikable in the beginning because and, and it's unnecessary. Like, why can't you just say he's divorced and it's like the week that his ex-wife has the kids? Yeah. Like, why? Why can't you just do that? Well, do you, you think know? they were trying to make him unlikable or do you think this is the way he kind of came? across because i felt like they didn't like they needed a character who wasn't attached but he also needed some stakes in the story so it's i mean it's like works for that but yeah at the same time it's just like i don't this guy is not a likable guy you know right he still has stakes in his kids getting injured but i can't drag my wife and family i have to be able to be gone for a week Right. And the thing is, I, I guess in 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 my mind, it was because we see in scene after scene after scene, his ex-wife yelling at him over the phone, you know, like the kids don't even remember your name or what you look like. And him like constantly breaking these dates that he's supposed to go and and pick up his kids. It's just unnecessary. Like, why can't you just say they're divorced and, you know, maybe he doesn't have custody of his kids or something like well, that. Does, I mean, it's he does bring them those terrible masks so maybe they were trying to because yeah obviously right. the hottest thing in the world are these three halloween masks and he's like here here's a uh, plastic easter bunny mask <laughs> right which actually i went as one year for oh, halloween did you yeah easter bunny yeah. or well, just a I, bunny well as bugs bunny oh okay <laughs> So a bunny nonetheless. Hey, bunny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting side note. um, I was about four years old, maybe three years old when is Bugs Bunny? And uh, we we made a stop before trick-or-treating over at my grandma's house. And she had a, a bunch of bananas there. And I apparently had just discovered bananas and proceeded to eat like five of them. And then literally, sh- <laughs> literally shit my costume. <laughs> oh man yeah so but were you at least doing the and what's up doc bit with the bananas the whole time (laughs) it was like it was like a really like strained like facial you know uh like not that you could see it behind the mask but yeah a lot of like the most intense what's up doc ever (laughs) Catman Crothers level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. Anyway, okay. let's stop talking yeah. about a great movie. We'll get, let's get back to Halloween three. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So they, you know, they don't they don't set this guy up as being terribly likable. But thankfully, because it's Tom Atkins, you you do like him because he's fun to watch. Yeah. But then then they 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 keep it right up by throwing him into this weird ass 10 second like courtship of a romance where he is. And I mean, I just decided to go with it. But for those that aren't familiar with the movie, just cutting it, it, you know, to the to the chase here, there is a, a man who, you know, as you mentioned in the uh, the intro, there's a man that ends up at, at the hospital that Tom Atkins is a yeah. surgeon at, and he's clutching the mask and he's saying they're going to kill us all. And That's um, our cold you know, open, he's being like hunted down yes. by these suits, just some plain guys in suits. Right. And we have no idea what's going on or who this guy is. And um, as it turns out, you know, he's killed in the hospital and his, you know, younger young daughter, you know, comes to to uh, identify the body. And then suddenly we get this weird ass relationship between her and one of the surgeons at the hospital. It would have made more sense if if Tom Atkins character had been a cop yes. and he was like the detective assigned to the case like that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But but Literally not like, no reason to make him a doctor. 
Zero. Right. Uh, unless he just said, I don't want to be a cop again for like the 50th time. Or I don't know what it and was. He's but- obviously like everyone knows he's a fucking drunk. Everyone knows he's a drunk doctor because because they meet briefly, I think, at the hospital or she sees him or whatever. And so then he's at a bar drinking and then she shows up and she's like because she had to identify her dad's body in his hospital bed. Right. Um, but she comes to find him. And she's like, oh, they they said you'd probably be the nurses says you would probably be here. Like he's always there if he's yeah. working. Like no doubt he's down at Rusty's knocking off a fifth of whiskey <laughs> right right and it's like the but it just, seems like an innocuous team up at first and it gets see you went with it well this was this was harder for me to watch than the severed head going down on that uh, lady in reanimator like just because because they're, they're trying to make a front. They're going to investigate this company. And so they're acting like husband and wife. And so when they're in the hotel room, he's like, well, I could go like just sleep in the car. It's probably might be more comfortable than the floor. It's just out of nowhere. Like they have not. I don't feel like they've flirted at all or anything. There's been no chemistry. And she just turns to him with those with fuck me eyes. And it's like, where do you want to sleep? And I was like, oh, no, I forgot. No. And then just fucking gross it's like well i blame maybe my just buying into that i I blame Pornhub because (laughs) that's all you need for yeah yeah, you get to a hotel oops there's only one bed and then things generally take off pretty quickly yes naturally right (laughs) but um but yeah it's like well, that's a really stupid question, Mrs. Grimshaw. <laughs> you know, like right. the worst, the worst lead into I'm going to kiss you. Like questions suck. Come here. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're stupid. Oh, and he's just like, look, I mean, no offense to Tom Atkins, but I mean, the guy's got some gnarly acne scars to begin with. Yeah. He, he makes them look rugged as a cop, but as just a random doctor that. Uh, and Yeah. I was going to say some young woman, he's already had sex with her. And then is like, how old are you? <laughs> right. You yeah. Start with that. You start with that. And then. Right. Proceed. Because let's, let's just for, for a visual for, for our listeners out there, we're, we're given to understand that this Dr. Tommy Atkins character is probably what in his forties. Uh, he looks late forties. Yeah. And then look and we and we would call her like what mid mid late twenties. Well here, I looked it up. When he filmed this movie, he was I think fifty-six. Really? Yes. Oh, well, he looked think. pretty good for fifty-six, I guess. Yeah. You think he did? Well, well either I way, mean, she's like twenty-three. She's literally like whoa. half his age. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could be a little off on my numbers there, but I do remember looking it up because my daughter and I were flipping out and when i looked it up i'm like oh it's even like worse than i thought (laughs) well good for tom (laughs) because she is cute and uh didn't seem to mind i i saw some interviews with uh stacy nelkin and she was like he is an absolute pleasure to work with he makes you feel comfortable he's a giving actor so you know it's 1982 that shit flew pretty easily. No one batted an eye. So for the time, I get it. And yeah. everyone seemed, it didn't seem icky. It looks icky now, but well, and if it's any, all on the level, which is good. And if anyone's ever out there has ever done any community theater, it wouldn't be the first time that, you know, somebody 30 years older than somebody else has been paired together on stage. I mean, it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Usually pretty restricted though in community. Yeah, theater true. There. <laughs> Fair. That's true. That's true. Um, but uh, but yeah, so our, our story moves along then as we get to the town. And this is this is where you really have to kind of just buy into the story in order for any of it to make sense. Yeah. That that there is this there exists this coastal California town that um Santa is Mira. Yes, that is named after the original uh, invasion of the body snatchers, because that was kind of what they were going for. That was the first half of this movie was the same body snatcher ish. And it kind of is, but it's robots. You think it's body snatchers. 
Yeah, and we'll get to that robot yeah, thing robots later are weird. because there's one of the there's one aspect of that that it just makes no sense. But but they get to this town and they do a good job of creating the sort of like sleepy, creepy town where if you come from the outside, everybody's staring at you. So you get they they do create a nice sense of um that weird sort of like expansive scope, but yet everything feels sort of uh you know controlled. Like, yeah, there's that, there's that uh, surveillance camera they always show, so you know so, someone's always keeping an eye on you. Back yeah. back in the day where we were like, "Whoa, surveillance!" <laughs> no, you're right. I was back thinking off. that when they when they showed that camera, like there's still a part of me that like lives in in the early '80s where it's like, "Ooh, like high tech!" Like look at that. Look at there's it's a camera up on a pole up there. Wow, they might know what that guy's doing. <laughs> I bet they build robots too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you they they do a good job of the setting, and there is some kind of like there's almost this like there's a couple shots that remind me of like old um, 1950s westerns that were really like had really great cinematography where they use the background as much as they do the foreground. So like you see the factory that makes these Halloween masks like ever present off in the distance yeah. like there's a really nice old school framing there to some of the the setup shots and it's pretty cool so so yeah for to, to catch all of you folks up because it, it kind of took a half second for me to get there um because the daughter has done some detective work on her own she has linked the last place that her father would be seen or known at as being alive um being back at this town yeah. where they he's make the Hall- an order he's picking up an order yeah. of masks because he owns a shop that sells novelties so he's for some reason apparently back you actually went to the factory that made your halloween mask which is a little weird but this is a weird issue i had because they are apparently dominating the fucking market right with these masks yet at the same time you got to go to the factory pick them up um, people are still getting them the day before Halloween. Right. Uh, you know, they're like still making them the night before Halloween when they're, you know, spoiler alert, nefarious plans where there were to be no more Halloweens after this. So why they're still like, we got to still got to pump the market up with these things after they find out it, uh, it kills you. Uh, but uh, people are going to need them. Yeah. You've just lost a sector of your audience that knows anything about supply chain so yeah that's that's for sure and uh but you know it it does get a little interesting in that when they get to this company town that is sort of completely under apparently under the control of of the owner of this company that we get the introduction of there being an irish motif to to this town and its people and um a little, I, I wouldn't say it's culture, but but certainly this sort of like oasis of Irishness, yeah, just smack dab out in the middle of coastal California. But yeah, it's almost like a little Mormon Salt Lake City where it's just like just Irish people are there. That's it. Like right, right, because it's and, all uh, controlled by. We said that the owner of the company, but Connell Cochran, let's give him played by Dan O'Hurley, who who is my favorite performance in this movie. He fucking is having a blast. He is. And and what's really great is that um, even with his name, like um, I don't know this for sure, but I was like, boy, that's kind of an interesting choice for a character name. Like it sounds Irish. You know, but I, I was like, where did they get that? And I couldn't really find anything like that actually came right out and said where his character's name came from. But I think it's from uh, a, uh, an, an old Irish idol named Crom um, Cruach, which is a, uh, it kind of like a mythological character, a god that had to be sacrificed to in order to appease. So it's double C. Yeah, double C's in that name, Krom Kruach. And um, so they went with Connell Cochran, which maybe there's a connection there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, he's great in it. And I'll tell you what's really interesting. He's got he's got a really interesting choice of accent. Um it doesn't sound Irish. It doesn't sound overly Irish. And that's because when when you typically hear Irish accents in in film or or when somebody's imitating one, it might be something more common like Dublin. But yeah. he's at what he's doing is a Cork accent and Cork. And, and it's not even really a, 
a great Cork accent, which I'm sure he can do like a full on Cork accent because the actor he's from he's from Ireland. I mean, he's he's yeah. literally he's not just of Irish extraction; like he's from Ireland. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think he's from uh, is it is there County Wexford? Is that Sounds it? Right. Yeah, I think that's where he's from. But um, but anyway, he's I've doing heard a Cork- Wexford before, so. Yeah, so he's doing a Cork accent. Now, Cork is a really specific accent because that's way down south in Ireland. So that's the one that's 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 really sing-songy. And it's up and down. And, oh, how are you doing today? Da, 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 da. It's it's very lilty and up and down. And it's kind of like that, like, uh, oh, me lucky charms, the, the sort of like <laughs> right. stereotypical like leprechaun accent. Um, but they actually do it down there and they're like really emphatic with their words and they, they speak really fast and they're really expressive. Um, but what I think is interesting is that he does a very muted one, except there's that one monologue where he finally explains the origins of uh-huh. why he's doing what he's doing. And you can feel his accent thicken a little bit as he's telling that. Like, you have to listen close, but yeah. it's it's a really, like you said, it's a fantastic performance. And, you know, the guy does a yeah. really good does job. evil, nice guy. Yeah. So well. Yeah. Yeah. Charming, but oh. evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah there are great. a couple scenes where he goes from, <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's a part where Ellie uh, sees her dad's car there and a bunch of guys like keep her from going into the barn where it is. And you've got this other there's this other Ansler family that's shown up right in there, like at the factory at the same time they are. And he like turns, to, you know, he turns to the salesman and he's like, <laughs> company secrets like you get it right. And then as he like turns back to her, like his face just melts into this fucking menace but it barely moves like, right it's so good yeah no he's great so and not only that but if we're talking about just key little great performances in this um there is the um the character of marge gutman who yeah. is one of the one of the other characters that just happens to also show up in this town because yeah. she needs to pick up her supply of masks that she's ordered. Yeah. And, and at um, this motel and like a bunch of new characters just all show up at once to this motel. Yes. And it's it's actually played by Tom Atkins, ex-wife. Um, that that's the actress who, yeah, uh, who plays. And, and it's this really great little part, um, that, uh, that doesn't, I don't know, serve a whole lot of purpose other than to be, um, you know, ultimately killed. One of, one of the the first examples, the the ultimate nefariousness of what's going on. She's our little taste. Yeah. And, and when she's in her hotel room and she's tinkering with the mask, um, more, more specifically, the the sort of um, company like trademark logo. on the mask. Yeah. yeah, the logo. She's kind of like tinkering with it. And now, as I'm watching this, never having seen it before, I didn't know what I expected to happen <laughs> when she was tinkering with this. But I can tell you what I didn't expect was for a lightsaber to stab her in the fucking mouth. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. Let's back up because there's a lot of weirdness that's going. There's a lot of just why is someone doing this and why is this happening? Because because we we haven't really talked about the mask. Let me just say the mask real quick. There are three masks this company makes, and apparently they're the greatest masks ever. It's a witch, it's a skull, and it's a pumpkin. That's it. So she uh, has. Um, one of the masks and she's supposed to pick up an order and yeah so they've got this huge like like big circular disc on the back of them and this falls off so she's looking at it in her hotel room and what you didn't mention is inside the thing is a micro there's like a big circuit board inside of it and she's poking at it with a pin so first what she expected to happen just poking at a microchip with a pin i don't know but as then you said the least thing you expect is a lights this thick beam of light shoots out of it right into her fucking mouth (laughs) um and it cuts away but the cut back i love this effect her mouth just her eyes are bulging and bloodshot and her mouth is like ripped open like at the yeah yeah and bugs are crawling out of it that's a little foreshadowing into what's to come um totally awesome death though and yeah i love her she was a great character she lasted just as long as she needed to last and had an awesome death like that whole part give me more marge gutman 
Yes. And along with that, um, at least we little we get a little bit more of the character Teddy, who is I don't know, maybe you understood her a little bit better than I did, but she apparently just works in the hospital and we're given to understand that she had a relationship with Tom Atkins character. Yeah. And that maybe they maybe they were the reason he got the divorce in the first place. I don't know. But they they dated a little handsy. Yeah. Yeah. And she somehow works in. I don't know what aspect of the hospital it would be, but like he sort of relies on her uh, for, you know, giving him a little bit of information. Yeah, I don't she know. Like works in a lab capacity. Yes. Yeah, let's let's jump back a little bit to set her up because she's investigating because as when the, the the when Ellie's dad shows up at the hospital and w- finally one of the suit guys comes in to kill him in one of like w- a brutal kill that I don't think I've ever seen before where the guy pretty much uh, reaches into his eyeballs for leverage to then yank the bridge of his nose out of his head. Like, yes, that's how, that, that's how the first guy gets it. Yeah, Great. it's weird. So the, a nurse sees that and they chase the, the guy in the suit down and he gets into a car and just lights himself on fire and the car explodes. Right. He just kills himself. Uh, and 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 Dr. Uh, um, Dan Chalice sees this and that's what he's like, oh, I need a drink. So so they're <laughs> investigating the explosion. And yeah, so that's kind of her task now is investigating the remains of what's left over. And she discovers there are no bones. There were no teeth left over. Like certainly an explosion that small wouldn't have vaporized all these things. She's just found a bunch of gears and, 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 you know, wires and metal things. Like there's no, there doesn't seem to be any organic matter left over, Tim. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of cool. Like, um, you know, you, you start as a, as a viewer kind of piecing some things together at that point. And, and she delivers all of that with like a real down to earthness about her. There's something about her performance, probably something about just more of like her as, as a person and, and how relatable she is. She's really likable kind of in that same regard that, that Gutman is like, here's just a really down to earth, like really believable character in this movie. Like she's great. She's great. And she serves her purpose wonderfully. Um, but she is but kind yeah, of forgettable because so, when you were um, first brought her up, I was like, "What the hell is he talking about?" <laughs> I just yeah, well, yeah, that, but yes, yeah, so you you remember what she does. I didn't remember her name at all. Right, but there's yeah some nice interplay between her and Tom Atkins, and it's all it's all very believable and and it's it's really good stuff. So yeah, so there are great performances throughout this, and and some are a little bit more caricatured than others, but overall you've got good performances, which you don't have, and this is where really where this movie begins to falter is that unfortunately, and this is kind of like the saddest part about it because the the script so to speak, was written by Nigel Neal, who is one of Carpenter's favorite writers from, he's a British writer. Well, actually, he's not British. He's from the Isle of Man. But um, he's one of of Carpenter's favorite writers from like old Hammer movies. And um, so he, you know, it's like John Carpenter gets famous with Halloween. He gets to like pick one of his idols to like write one of the movies in his his franchise. So I'm sure he was super stoked. But the problem was is that Nigel Neal was really used to writing more along the lines of like science fiction type mystery stories. And so when Dino De Laurentiis one of the producers came along and read the script that Nigel Neal had written. He didn't care for it because he felt like it wasn't, it wasn't gory enough. It wasn't uh, edgy enough. And so at that point, Nigel Neal just, just took his name out of the credits, like literally disowned himself from the movie, even though the majority of what he wrote stayed, but then it was handed over to the director, Tommy Lee Wallace uh, to kind of tweak it and finish it up. Now here's the problem. This, the writing, there's nothing really terribly interesting about it. The ideas are great. There, there are some really, really interesting ideas that have to do with Irish mythology and the origins of Samhain, uh, which is the, the traditional 
ancient Irish yeah. Halloween is probably the easiest way to say it. Um, so the, the, all those ideas are cool, but but the the dialogue is kind of stiff. And the actors do their best to elevate it as much as they can, but they can only do so much. But on top of that, there's a lot. I had a real problem with how a lot of scenes were directed. It's either the director or the editor, because you got the impression that whoever was directing these scenes or editing these scenes had no acting experience because there just wasn't a lot of chemistry in the scenes. Um, And, uh, and sometimes shots would sort of linger like two people would have a scene in a room and then someone would leave that room and the camera guy, you kind of picture the camera guy looking over at the director, like, uh, should I cut? Yeah. Or? You say cut now. Yeah. Well, let's here. Let's, um, cause you mentioned, uh, Samhain and that was, that's yeah, that, that was the, that's, that's the, uh, overall plan, evil plan in this movie is they, they're a little pissed about the commercialization and uh, the way like the Western world celebrates their very sacred holiday. So what they're going to do, a little retribution, kind of bring it back to the old time. So in the cl- in classic, um, you know, when you're dealing with uh, ancient magics and thing like that, classic, classic, we have to wait for a very specific technology to come out before we can administer right. it or we figured out a way. But yeah, so they've they've stolen a piece of Stonehenge. So the plan now, as we've mentioned earlier with Marge, she kind of gets zapped by this thing. Um, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but there's a there's a song uh, that's an ad for this um, <laughs> for the for this product. It's a little obnoxious. It's to the tune of London Bridges, and it's just eight more days of Halloween, silver shamrock. Um, as my kid pointed out, how much money do they have in marketing? Because they literally have a different ad for every day as it counts down. <laughs> Not only right. TV, but also radio ads, because they are everywhere. Um, and the whole goal, and they're like, hey, kids, there's a big giveaway, like get your mask and watch the mask during the Horror Fest giveaway on Halloween night. Like that's that's what this commercial is pushing. But what their plan is, um, and we see it demonstrated through the Kepfer family because the Kepfer family shows up. They're like the biggest sales. He was he was their biggest salesman that year. Yeah. So his reward is to come down <laughs> to the factory and just uh, check things out, give things a little test run. So they, uh, you know, they take a tour of the facility and this family gets uh, stuck in this room. And meanwhile, they've they realized the doctor is up to no good and they've like kidnapped him and Ellie. And so they're going to make him. So they've revealed their plan uh, to bring back the true Gaelic Halloween uh, through ushering in a new era of witchcraft. And the way they're going to do this, it's a combination of you put the mask on, which has the chip on the back. And as you so they they put the Kepfer family in this little room to wait a little waiting room uh the kid puts on his mask and they put on, and they're like okay run the broadcast and they're making uh dr chalice watch this uh and it's really just that fucking song again um <laughs> and it's but the the it's this like but it starts kind of getting faster and really all it is is just this picture of this pumpkin and a strobe effect like they they seem to have originated the yeah we can uh, fuck people up just by flashing light at them (laughs) um but they're so they've they've also taken a piece of stonehenge there's a there's a small piece of ireland in every silver (laughs) shamrock mask (laughs) because they've taken a little piece of the power of stonehenge in each chip and a combination of that and watching this broadcast uh, melts your face into bugs and snakes. And I, this scene, this is one of those scenes where it's just like, this made it worth watching. Like, if, yeah. if it didn't have bits like this, this movie would be so fucking garbage. But just A, uh, so fun to see a small child die. You don't get to see that very often anymore. No, it's almost um, taboo. No, even yeah. In- uh, I don't, you know, spoilers aside, uh, great scene in Dr. Sleep. I know you saw Dr. Sleep, uh, talk about killing a kid, mm, but you gotta, right. get, you gotta get a Jacob Tremblay for that. I mean, that's where we're at <laughs> these days. Like you need the greatest child actor to pull off an effective kid death in a movie these, these days <laughs> or kid murder really. Um, right. 
where, where that the murder then is not the focus of the movie, you know. Um, but uh, so this kid uh, is just he's like the mask is kind of melting and he's like tearing at it. Apparently, that was the only mask they had. And they were like, don't fuck this up, kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> once you tear at this mask, it's done. We don't have another one. So but <laughs> the kid did a great job. He's just tearing at it and he collapses and the parents are kind of oblivious and then just bugs a rattlesnake <laughs> crawls out of this mask. Uh, and then it in, then all those creatures end up killing the parents. So that's the big plan is to a kill a bunch of kids and then have the aftermath of that kill like the parents, all the, the evil creatures and crawlies that come out of that kind of cleanse, yeah. cleanse the planet a little bit. Yeah. Which is and a great plan. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Why not? Um, I can't believe yeah, I was talking about it before. It's kind of kind of topical these days, but uh, I mean, not so much with the kids, but uh, but no, it's um, it, it's it, it's a really interesting thought. And the funny thing is, is you might think to yourself, like, like, OK, yeah, but is this really a part of of Irish mythology of of the of Samhain to to be killing kids and sacrificing kids? And the funny part is kind of because <laughs> um, they're now if you're talking about old but not quite as ancient celebrations how it's usually done the quote-unquote sacrifice is more like like you find in a lot of cultures with a lot of harvest festivals or end of the harvest festivals or days of the dead or what have you that you leave out like a plate of food for for your um you know deceased ancestors or things like that so those sorts of things are done but if you do look at Way, way back in Irish mythology, there was a belief that you had to, in order to appease these certain gods so that, and these these evil gods that you were trying to appease kind of represented negative energy that it was especially had to do with nature. So that's where that's where you get the connection with like the snakes and the insects and things like that. Okay. Is there, there actually is a connection there. So what you're doing when you do these sacrifices is that you're appeasing these gods so that they don't come and kill your livestock or kill your crops or, or whatever it is that you have a means of supporting yourself. But in in Irish mythology, part of that was giving up three. What was it um, like three quarters of your children? had to be sacrificed and three quarters, three quarters of your milk, three quarters of your crops, you had to give them, uh, you had to sacrifice them in order to appease these gods. Now, that's that's mythology, right? Got and come a little further <laughs> our understanding of how things work. Yeah. And granted, it is mythology, but there and it's clouded because you've got um, really it was it was all oral tradition until Christian uh, people came along and started writing some of it down. So it's some of the mythology is going to be skewed anyway, but there might be like a fun little creative parenting going on there. Because if you're like a kid in a family of like four kids, like <laughs> you better be mom and dad's favorite oh, yeah. or else you, know, you might not live to see next Halloween. Um, but uh, so, so who knows that, that could maybe be part of it, but yeah. So, so there are actually some truths, not now i'm nobody's ever saying that it actually happened that irish people were killing their kids but right. in them in the mythology yes that 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 did happen so um I'm sure it like like one person did it and then that turned into a, you know <laughs> right right yeah like one guy went a little too far and murdered his family and then it became a scary legend and that turned into something else you know how things right do. So, so yeah, so there's uh, getting back to the original point, like all of that stuff, those ideas, you know, Stonehenge has always been interesting, like to any kid that ever hears about it. Um, it's still a mystery to this day, even though now they, they really kind of see it as like a, a burial ground. Yeah. Um, but, but I, uh, I uh, feel I failed as a parent because as I was watching it with my kids, she's like, what's Stonehenge? And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and they're actually it, it's it is kind of interesting. Like the, one of the old theories is that the devil himself actually paid an Irish lady for the stones um, to be taken, and and then then like, he brought them over to where Stonehenge. Because forgive my ignorance, but Stonehenge is in England. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but the, the connection to it being Ireland is that there's an old story that, like I said, the devil bought them. Yeah, from Ireland. Right. Why didn't I put those two things together? Like yeah. why? What well, yeah. Why, <laughs> why does it Gaelic still, I mean, it probably was spread throughout that area. Right. It's more of a but Gaelic no, thing than an Irish thing specifically. No, but you're, you're right though. I mean, it's, it's fair to question like, why would an Irishman pick a British national monument? Right. Yeah. To, like give him his special powers, but no, it, it does have, they're in folklore. They say the stones came from Ireland, but um, so, yeah. So interesting, interesting things are happening and you're right. Like that scene when that kid in the test room has all the snakes in his face, you know, gets all fucked up and everything. That's one of those scenes that like, if you watch that as a kid, that's probably going to fuck you up for life. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's creepy. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Um, so, so now we see what these masks can do. Now we, we know what the sinister plot is. And um, so it's it, it, what you're getting here is a movie with excellent ideas that just aren't, Excellent, excellently executed. That's yeah. that's the unfortunate thing. Because the way it ends, we'll just we'll, we'll wrap this one up. It's so he they he finds Ellie. He breaks her out. He ends up like dumping all the chips on all the workers. I, we didn't really talk about the room because it's the final processing room, and it's you know everything else is kind of this manufacturing facility, and then you have this weird giant stark warehouse with a giant stone in it and then a bunch of lab guys with computers so tom atkins dumps all these chips activates the song it that zaps robots have we really talked about everyone in a suit is a robot we haven't really talked about that but <laughs> no. it's a weird it's a weird thing there's just everyone is a robot um which I, is a commentary on corporatism i don't know um but anyway uh so everyone's a robot so he zaps all the robots and like the stonehenge stone explodes you get this fucking awesome moment from uh dan o'herlihy where he just kind of looks up and gives us like little slow sarcastic applause like bravo doctor you did it <laughs> you know um but it's like the wheels are still in motion, you know, for things to happen. So he's like not totally defeated, but he knows he knows he's done enough. Um, and Ellie turns out to be a, a robot, which is a weird turn just so he can knock her head off. Like they just fucking do the female dirty. That like, part made no sense. She's killed off screen and she's a robot. Um that's all that that happens. But then the the great, it's got a great ending, great tag at the end where they wind up back at the gas station from the beginning. And he, and he's like, I have to get them to stop this broadcast. Somehow he's able to, I don't know. I'm still unclear on who he calls. He calls someone and it's like, listen, and kids, this is back when there were three channels. He's like, listen, <laughs> You have to stop this broadcast on all three channels. And he's in the gas station and he's watching the TV. Uh, A, some kids show up to trick or treat at the gas station, which was weird. And the guy's ready. He's got a bowl of candy. I don't, maybe that was a thing in the early 80s. My parents never took me to a gas station. There was one day where businesses like downtown, it was like a thing where you went trick or treating downtown. Uh, but yeah, not on Halloween night. So anyway. So he's yelling at whomever on the phone, you have to stop the broadcast, stop the broadcast. And they like stop it on two channels. Like you see the, uh, we're sorry, there's an interruption in this broadcast. And you're like, oh, thank God. The kid just like reaches up and flips the channel over to the next station and it's playing. And doctor is like, no, you have to stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And then that's how it ends. Him yelling, stop it. You don't, you don't know if they did stop that last broadcast. Or if the plan came to fruition, I like to think it did. Tom Atkins says he likes to think they stopped the broadcast, but Tom, you're too too much of a half full kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it, I'll tell you, it is when when you've got Tom Atkins screaming into the phone, "Stop it!" Like it's pretty effective because he is. screams it like eight times. Like oh, it's yeah. it's pretty like a, a pretty manic moment, and it's really great. It is it is interesting. You mentioned earlier about apparently they had enough money to create uh, commercials, you know, for every day of Halloween. Not only that, but apparently they had commercials for every. 
time zone as well, because there are different time zones with different times that they would right. be showing this, you That's know, right. so, so there's that too. But yeah, a lot, a lot has to be set aside um, to enjoy this movie and that, and that just kind of brings me to uh, my, my final question for you in that if you go into this with lower day, if you can somehow go into watching this movie for the first time, not trying to compare it at all to the first one. Like if you have some, you or I trying to set somebody up for the right way to watch this movie, can you even get to a point where you can really enjoy this movie or is it just not quite good enough to ever get there? No matter how much it's prefaced. I mean, I, I, I it can be enjoyable if you don't, if you don't associate it with Halloween, which they fucking, do because they oh, show God. you clips like they're watching the original Halloween. So they're just you're just reminded there is a way better Halloween out there. Uh, but if you don't associate it with Halloween and just kind of take it for what it is, like I do like the plan, like the evil plan. I like all that. Um, I like the performances. I like some of the effects. It's just kind of slow to get there. A lot of the characters don't mesh, as you said, Um yeah, that is a weird thing. Like the characters are good, but they don't collaborate very right. well. No. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like I'd give it a mild recommend just because it's kind of wacky and you're not going to see anything else. There's no other movie like it for sure. Um, well, that's a good point. That, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's a strong point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you can't say it's formulaic. I mean, it's no. it's definitely not that. But yeah, so, I think it's it's. It's the stuff, essentially. That's what I. Yeah, it, it, yeah. There are a lot of similarities there. It 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 definitely has that feel, and yeah. So I I wouldn't rush out to see it. Um, but yeah, just as like some some minor amusement, and yeah, go ahead and, and give it a spin. Yeah. All right. Well, there it was, Tim. 1982's <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I forgot to give the subtitle. My apologies. Yes. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Yeah, you just call it Season of the Witch. Totally different movie. Done. Essentially. Yeah, crazy. Uh, but you know what? Uh, the one time a, a, a movie executive has been wrong. <laughs> they can't all be home runs, you know? Okay, so that was awesome. Tim, up next, we're going to do, we're going to go back uh to a early slasher 1981 the prowler yeah another one that i had not ever seen until we decided to cover it and man am i glad that i did fantastic i loved it i can't wait to talk about it it's uh a lot of good things some bad things but a lot of good things we'll get to that i'm sure i'm sure oh yes uh cool well uh thanks for listening everyone please follow us on instagram at slumber podcast massacre our email slumber podcast at gmail.com holy shit tim that reminds me we did get an email who it's from everyone's favorite summarizer nancy haller and um she poses this question uh, just wondering if you gents can maybe check the bechdel wallace test and see if any of these movies ever pass it okay uh so this sounds like a really sarcastic email do you know what the bechdel wallace test is by the way i do not okay, i don't so the bechdel wallace test is a it's essentially a, a a pro feminine test it's a very simple test and very few movies pass this test Essentially, all it is is you have two female characters with agency, with names, and are actual characters. They're not just like passing extras. Two female characters in a scene together, not talking about a man. That's all the Bechdel test is, and very few movies pass it. It's insane. Um, so, uh, yes. Now, the horror genre, very few movies are going to pass that test. Oh, yeah. This movie does not pass that test. I was looking at the list, just glancing at the list of movies we've done. I'm going to say Hereditary is an easy one that says it passes it. Uh, after that, I'd really have to kind of re-examine the movies. But I, I think it's something we can talk about, each movie. Does this movie pass the... It's really just the Bechdel test. I think it was a little, uh, you know... She's trying to impress us by calling it the Bechdel Wallace test. That makes me feel like she looked it up and didn't really know what it was called. So I'm just going to throw a shade there. Coming up. Coming up next week, Steel Magnolias. 
Um, yeah. No, I, uh, I, I think it's a, it, no, that I had not heard of that. I think it's really interesting. And it really, it kind of makes me think really quick about like, boy, you think that there should be plenty of that, but it's probably shocking how, how little of that there is. Yeah. I will say, I will say though, and this, and this is something we'll kind of not talking about a man that is what always trips it up. Right. Right. Scenes with two female characters. Right. And I'll tell you, it, it leads me to think about next week, uh, next week's show with uh, the Prowler because it's it's another one of those movies that was really um, really get slapped with that label of being misogynistic as as so many of these movies were. But ultimately, I still feel that um, that these movies are are have a very strong feminist vibe. In fact, they did a study kind of right in the time period that we of a lot of the films that we cover. Sure. And uh, they did a study of who was going to see these films. And 55% of the tickets purchased were by females. Oh. So over half of the audience that was clamoring for these films and wanting to see them uh, were, in fact, women. So some, well, something I think else- it's you can have strong female characters and still not pass the Bechdel test. Is well. Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. Okay, that's true. So yeah, well, I don't know if uh, we'll be able to cover that for the Prowler, but we'll try. We'll try. Yeah. Spoiler alert, already watched it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. We're going to record this in a minute. So uh, anyway, so uh, where was I? All right, that's our email. Uh, Please, uh, please. Anyone else emails me, I will not uh, make fun of your email like I did uh, that previous email. (laughs) Uh, and our Patreon, patreon.com slash slumber podcast massacre. Huge thanks to our patrons. You helped make this possible and we uh, could do it without you, but we prefer not to. Um, and also um, Sarah Dooley, she does our theme song. I think the last time I said the name of her album, it was a totally the wrong title. That's just the name of the song. I don't even remember what I said, but her new album, it did drop just this last Friday, the full album. It's called Is This Heartbreak? And it's phenomenal very proud of her and i hope she's proud of it because it's a good piece of work uh, tim you might even like it it's like some poppy stuff i know you like the uh, sad british guys but uh <laughs> <laughs> i will give it a spin i can't wait i i love her i think she's super talented and yes i will absolutely do that yeah uh so cool so uh join us next week when we talk about the prowler tim you got anything else to say about halloween three yeah, I do. I do. Um, I know we cover a lot of ground uh, when we discuss these films, but uh, oftentimes we do leave out the stunt performers, which are a huge part of these movies. And if ever there was one worth mentioning, it's a gentleman involved in this film who goes by the name Dick Warlock. And if that's not the coolest damn name out there, then I don't know what is. So hats off. Give it up for Dick Warlock, everybody. Dick Warlock. All right. We'll see you later, Timmy. Later.